48 hour art check best of podcast we go live on youtube monday wednesday and friday at 9 p.m california time we'd love to have you in the chat we then rip the best conversations from uh that and we put it in this podcast and today we're going to talk about escapist fiction and the reason that i wanted to bring this up is because I've heard a number of people in the community, a number of people that listen to this podcast and watch these videos, um, give an excuse for what they enjoy doing, for um, not doing something quote unquote important. And they say, oh, but I, you know, I, I like to do important things and I want to make an impact on the world, but you know, right now I'm just doing kind of some escapist fiction or whatever. And it's almost as if they are downplaying um, or, or trying to... Um, you know, like make an excuse for escapist fiction as if escapist fiction isn't important. And so I thought it just might be an interesting thing uh, to discuss. And I don't know what your guys' opinions are at this point, but but I think escapist fiction is is extremely important for a number of reasons. But w- what do you guys think? Do you think it, it's just yep. kind of fun, or do you think it's important? Well, base. I think it's. I think it's really important. But just based on that, I mean, um, and I don't know if this is a road we want to go down, but um, that uh, that comment that Bill Maher made about comics after Stan Lee died. I don't know if you you heard that about. It was basically oh, yeah. the gist of it was basically that the comics are for kids and there's nothing of any value, and you know you're a man child if you uh, read comics or if you create comics or whatever, and it's just. It's uh, it's just that opinion. Just oh, it gets me so. I mean, it's just uh, for somebody who takes the medium seriously and who does it for a living, and um, just just to know that there's still people out there that that have that that mindset. It just really bothers me. So um, yeah, and I wonder. I mean, Bill Maher is like an intentional shock jock who just enjoys right. straight right. crap up. Um, yeah, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because I was going to say it's such a strange comment coming from someone who creates like a, a shock jock like type of show where it's like so so comics are for the lowest common denominator, but like listening to like shock jock type content, you know, <laughs> is like is the highest. But he's talking about important stuff like politics and things like that. So mm-hmm. right, you know, yeah. important things. So and that's that's why we need escapist fiction to get, get away from the politics and everything. You know? So so here's one thing I'll say though, like because I think I mean there's a couple things I think that that have gone kind of viral recently, and I and I like especially regarding escapist fiction, and I think they're misconceptions. Um, one is that escapist fiction is, is is necessarily to be escapist apolitical, which I think is insane, right? Because like. The weird thing is, like, when I was a kid, one of the first authors that I, like, fell in love with and bought, like, every book they did was Roald Dahl. Yeah. And Roald Dahl was not an apolitical writer. He had a lot of politics in his stories, but they were politics kind of guised in, like, morality and, 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 and never at the cost of the story. So, like... um you know, I, I, like Charlotte's Web is a morality tale, you know, like there's, there are these like children's stories um, that, that have some kind of like morality tale to them. And by having like a morality to them, like they are kind of taking somewhat of a political stance. So like, to me, the idea that escapism is apolitical is like, 
completely silly. I mean, like Stranger Things is totally political, well, even though it's super escapist. You know, I so think it's like I think you would I think you would be hard pressed to find anything that is apolitical because politics. I I I, I was at a conference, right? I was at I was at a conference and I was sitting there, and they got up. And they were talking about there's there's uh, there's this group that was giving giving a speech, and they were they were quoting different things about in the media about um, you know nudity and how it's disproportionately objectifying women versus men, blah 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 blah. And I heard somebody say, "I didn't come here for politics." And I'm like, "This isn't even politics. This is like no one's platforming, no one's voting for anything, no one's whatever." And then it got me thinking like. What isn't politics? Because I mean, really, yeah. like politics is like how we interact with each other, how we expect our government to interact with us, uh, the different rights and things, and and like it's an endless it's an endless debate. But then you look at you look at escapist fiction um, or just good storytelling and anything. And I keep going back to this, but I keep remembering um, uh, McDonald, Brian McDonald, who wrote Invisible Ink. Um, often quotes the story about how um, the guy who was Rod Serling, who was doing the Twilight Zone, wrote a bunch of that stuff um, straight. And all the censors were like, no, can't do politics on the air like that, man. You know, you can't you can't say those things. And so he's like, fine, same story. But now they're aliens and this guy's a monster and she has a pig face and like (laughs) just changed everything so that it became like sci fi. And then they were like, yep, that's fine. Right. And it's like. But the message was exactly the same. Like, and yeah. and I mean, if you look at like Star Trek or X Men or whatever, like, there's these very clear messages of like, just because people are different, you should treat them well. And yeah. you could have people come in and say, "Oh, why are you getting all political?" And it's like, well, yes, because politics just is part of life, but also not. You know, I mean, and so I I, I yeah. agree with you. I do have a problem with with that everything should be apolitical mainly because I don't actually believe that it's possible. I remember being in school agreed, and I, I majored in communication and I was sitting. And so in the communication department that I, that I got my bachelor's in, you have journalism, you have public relations, you have a bunch of other different emphases. And so I took some PR classes and I took some journalism classes and I was sitting in a journalism class and the teacher was saying, you know, it's important to be non, you know, unbiased and blah, 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 blah. And I raised my hand and I said, you know what I'm realizing is, and this is because I was a jerk at 22 or whatever. Um, I said, I'm realizing that um, the only difference between PR people, PR practitioners and journalists is that one group admits their bias and the other group pretends like bias doesn't exist. And he almost fought me for a minute. And then he was like, no, you're right. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And he's like, oh yeah, every paper that I've ever wrote for like had some kind of bias, you know, even if it was a stupid bias, like you can't say anything negative about this baseball team or whatever. Like there was always some kind of something that you had to play to. And so I think because we are human beings and because we have opinions and we live our lives and it's impossible to separate our perception from our experience that every story that is told by a creator authentically is going to have a slant to it. And you could call that politics, but you could also call it morality or you could also call it religion or you could also call it philosophy. It's, it's because it's, it's humanity. It exists. 
So anyway, so yeah, I, I that was my rant. I agree with you. That was my long agreement to Josh. No, no, statement. no. I, I think that's cool. Sorry, I got booted off for a second. Oh, um, I'm glad you're back. So, uh, so, um, tacking onto that, like, like I guess my point is, like, I think the big difference between kind of like, like something being like overtly political and escapist that like bothers people, I guess, is like maybe the problem is just people don't like it to be too on the nose meaning like <clears throat> you know i think um something that's overly preachy or like overtly like hitting you over the head with like this is political yeah um that might be a little much but the point being like i've i've never read um anything that didn't have a point of view about ethics or morality uh woven within the story even if the point of view was that like you know, it's like Cormac McCarthy kind of nihilism, but it's still right. the point being like there's there's usually like a um, an underlying kind of um, moral to things. So like I always feel like that's just a major cop out for people who want to be critical of escapist fiction that has a viewpoint um, to be like, oh, fiction can't, escapism can't have a viewpoint because I just I'm reading this to escape, not to like think about things, and it's like. To me, I feel like, well, you can pick and choose. Like, you can pretty much pick up, like, any kid's book in my kid's room and be like, oh, this is, like, liberal nonsense and, like, read, like, liberal values into it. Or you could, like, look at it and be like, oh, this is, like, completely for, like, consumerism and it's, like, consumer nonsense. You know what I mean? Right. Like, the point being, you can kind of put that on there if you want because there is some kind of underlying ethic or moral to, like, most stories um uh but anyhow let's get back to like escapism though because i think first off like I, I have this weird thing about it because i feel like most fiction even really serious fiction like what is the purpose except to escape yeah <laughs> like you know what i mean well yeah and that's um, and that's at the core of of the term escapist fiction when it's used as a pejorative I, yeah. I essentially have a problem with that because the assumption is that we shouldn't be allowed to escape or that if you're choosing to escape with your entertainment that somehow you're doing something wrong or immoral or something like that. And it's kind of like my same beef that I have with people who interject the stupid thing like, oh, first world problems. Like I, every time somebody says that to me, I want to punch them right in the neck <laughs> because like it's such a stupid thing to say. Like if I have a broken arm, and somebody else has a broken arm and a broken leg. I still have a broken arm. Like, I understand that the comparison is is ridiculous and that other people have stuff worse. But like, when when some when I actually have a legitimate grievance and something is really going wrong in my life, it is not helpful. It is not kind. It is not necessary. Nor is it even relevant to tell me that there are people that are starving somewhere else because it's like, yeah, yeah. But what is the point of that? And so here's, here's my problem is if people are like, Oh, you know, like what, what is the alternative to the argument that, you know, escapist fiction isn't important or that it's stupid or that it's childish or, or whatever is the alternative that I just have a constant state of anxiety that I just <laughs> cause myself to constantly fret and worry about, every person on the planet and i'm not yeah. i'm not making an argument for being hard and cold and and getting rid of empathy but like 
there is a limit to the amount that a sponge can hold before it just starts overflowing. Yeah. And we are like that in that I can in I can both engage with, worry about, and do something about the problems that I see around me and need to withdraw from that to be able to enjoy life. Otherwise, why are we here? What is the point? Yeah. If the point is just to torture ourselves, you can have it. That sucks. Yeah, yeah like, let me, um, I kind of want to tack on a, an example of just my own reading habits, because, like, here's a weird thing. So I do, like, very, I guess, what would be considered, like, non-escapist auto-bio stuff, right? Right. And it deals with, like, really heavy topics. But here's the weird thing about my own reading habits. It's like, I one of my favorite artists is Chris Ware, but if anyone's read Chris Ware's books, they're like, um, they're beautiful, they're poignant, they're like really true to reality in this weird, almost too heavy of a way. Like to the point where he has a comic about a, a little girl growing up and my friend had to stop reading it because he has a daughter and it was making him really depressed. Right. Like it was just so close to like reality. It was like too close. And so you had to put it down for like a year before picking it up again. Um, here's the weird thing before I like, I love Chris Ware's work. I'm always excited when there's a new Chris Ware thing, but before I, when I order a Chris Ware book, um, I will literally like clear a week um, to, to kind of read it. And then I'll clear like a week afterwards, like recover. <laughs> <laughs> um, and sometimes I'll usually order in tandem a book that's much more escapist. So like, um, I do remember one of his books was this book called Lint, which is really heavy. And it's like each page of the book is like the, 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 a year of a person's life until they die wow. from like birth to death. And it's, it's really ambitious and crazy, but, um, but it's a great book. It's amazing. Um, at the same time, it's super heavy and full of like existential woe and stuff. So like I bought that and then I read the whole Scott Pilgrim series right? Like, in tandem because, and that's not to say that either is more valuable than the other um, because Scott Pilgrim, the, that whole series is so brilliant and hilarious and fun and it even has some poignant moments, but it's like clearly the goal of that is more escapist. Um, to me, I didn't really see how one could exist without the other. It's like you kind of need the two um, in your diet to kind of stay sane as a reader. Because I think if you get way too into all escapist stuff, you might kind of lose touch with reality a little bit. Sure. Um, and then I think if you get too into the real stuff, it's like you can kind of lose all that beautiful value of like of art where, you know, like it, it's almost like if all you did was go to like art museums and you stopped listening to comedy or something, you know, um, like, you know, there's a place for comedy. There's a place for like laughs. There's and, and, and what's weird is um, I think that sometimes the thing that's going heavy can get like way further away from really impacting someone um as like something that's escapist yeah um because i think if something escapist goes deep it can have like a much more profound impact sometimes like i, I think of like pixar films um like up like there's like a one minute segment in up that i think most grown men i know when they saw were like bawling right <laughs> like like i mean completely crying 
and uh it's really profound and yet that movie's totally escapist and right. um and yet like somehow because of the fact that you're escaping and you're enjoying this and there's these visuals that are fantastic and there's creatures that are from another world and um you know you're kind of put in this whole different environment from reality when it has these moments that touch on reality they like they, they're heightened because you're at this almost like vulnerable state <laughs> yeah. um, to be kind of receptive to like those, those deeper moments. I don't know if that kind of makes sense, but I, I personally think that's why like, um, like another Pixar movie that got me all choked up was like Toy Story 2, uh, no, Toy Story 3, Three. Where, where they're all on the conveyor belt and they're like holding hands and it's like friendship, even though they're going to die. And you're right. like, oh my gosh, like I, to me, that really, like, I remember in the theater just having that lump in my throat and kind of looking over at my wife, like, I'm not, I'm not this isn't affecting me at yeah, all. This is fine. It's not, I'm totally <laughs> not moved by this at all. Um, but like, but I think part of why it gets you to that extent is because you're like laughing and kind of enjoying it. And it's like, you're almost like opening yourself up. Like, and then when it gets heavy within escapism, it's like, it can be really profound. Yeah. Um, you know, so like to me, I always feel like um, personally, just as like a, a guy who does do stuff that's like all auto bio and serious, I get kind of weirded out when people expect that all I read is like, you know, like, like I'm going to go home and read like a bunch of depressing fiction because it's like, yeah. no, there's no way. Um, you know, I, I need my moments of like watching something that is sincerely for laughs. You know, I need my like Monty Python. I need I need my goofy stuff um because like that stuff's great and that stuff actually has an equal impact on on even serious things you know yeah. um i don't I, know if that makes sense it, what, it, what's your experience with it i mean what do you think um well i was i was gonna ask i have a theory remind me of my theory because this will be really good but before i do that I'm, I'm curious because um scott you spend a significant portion of your time creating what people might say is escapist fiction right i mean you're talking about you've got kids kind of set in the 80s and they're running from zombies and it's kind of like a fun kind of 80s romp um yeah but i feel like I telling that type of thing is is i don't know if important is the right word um but i i think there's some significant value to what you're creating and and others that are doing similar things like you i mean do you do you think about that as you're creating it is there is there a heavier reason behind why you're doing that? Honestly, I mean, I do it because it's fun. Yeah. Because this is the these are the kind of stories that I I want to tell. I mean, and there, I mean, there's there's little bits. Uh, you know, it's it's by no means is it um, is it um, is it. Um, <laughs> why can't I think of the term? Uh, What's the term? What's the term for what you do, Josh? Oh, autobio. Autobio, yeah. It's by no means autobio, but but there are but some of the characters are kind of loosely based on me and friends that I grew up with and everything. Yeah. Um, and it's just like I just like as as kids we had fun playing and imagining ourselves in these crazy scenarios. So it's kind of like going back to that. Like these these were sort of an amalgamation of certain characters and things that I grew up with and what would happen if we, if there was a zombie apocalypse and, and kind of 
using that as sort of the basis. But for me, it's just, it is all fun and it's all, to me, I, it's totally escapist fiction. Um, but, but I, you know, I do that to kind of get away from other stuff. And, and there's, you know, a lot of the other entertainment or if you want to call it entertainment or, or um, you know, educational whatever the other stuff that I consume, whether it's podcast or, you know, I like to watch documentaries. I listen to like a lot of like stuff you should know and stuff like that. So, um, so I do, I do take in a lot of that stuff, but I don't, I don't really, I guess I don't put that kind of stuff out so much other than, I guess, I mean, I try to, I, when I do the YouTube channel, I try to, you know, uh, give tips and things and all that kind of stuff. So I guess that's, that's that fiction at all but but I don't know what as far as creatively with comics and everything that's just kind of the genre that I like the most and I've yeah. got you know other than this I, I mean I've got so many other ideas but I don't know that I've ever there's not too many any like like true or based on you know true events stories that I would be interested in telling I don't know why that is or if that's if that says anything about me or not but but, yeah, but, for me. but at the same time, I think what you're doing is really important because, um, well, I'll, I'll share a quick experience and then, and then okay. try to relate it. So I volunteer at my daughter's school, um, because I've, I've got a job that encourages me to be involved with my family, which is super awesome. And so, um, every so often I'll go in on a Friday and, and teach an art lesson or whatever. And I just did a thing where I was reading. And so I said, Oh, just cause they, they know me as their art teacher. And so I'll, I'll read the tongue cut sparrow. And so this is the, for those of you that don't know, that's the uh, fairy tale, Japanese fairy tale book that I just finished uh, a couple months ago. And so I, I brought but you up, created just so they know that not like you finished reading just, Oh yes. Anyone's not familiar. Yeah. Thank you. I, I inked yeah. it. I hand inked it and wrote yeah. it um, and, and adapted it to uh to the style. And so I, uh, I brought a bunch of copies and I told him, I, I brought some of the videos of me, uh, inking it. And I, so I showed him on my iPad. I said, Hey, look, I, I made this book. Like this is a book that I wrote, um, and drew and they had a bunch of questions about how I did it and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then I pass it out and I read the book and the book is about, the book is about this guy who goes into the woods his wife is kind of mean to him and he finds this sparrow who's injured and he picks it up and helps it and whatever. And at the end of it, you know, his wife is like mean, like rips out the sparrow's tongue and tries to kill it and you know, whatever and whatever. And, and at the end, like she dies and, uh, pretty horribly. I mean, she's, she's attacked by a bunch of monsters and demons and falls off this cliff to her death. And, uh, and this is third graders. Right. And so I was kind of curious to curious to see their reaction and the thing that I find interesting about fiction is that if I were to stand up there and say the stuff that I said at the end of that, at the beginning, without reading the story, it would have been like, all right, whatever, another lecture about being nice to each other or whatever. Because we were talking about at the end, we were talking about the importance of kindness and the importance of selflessness and the importance of doing good deeds, even when you don't expect anything from it and, you know, avoiding being greedy and avoiding being mean and avoiding, you know, being violent. And, and it was a great discussion with this class of nine-year-olds, this fantastic discussion um, that came out of everybody reading this kind of silly story with talking birds that are magic and turn into things. And, uh, you know, and it was just, it was just like this silly, goofy little story. And yet they were able to learn 
um, how to be a good human being. And I think what you're saying, Scott, is super important. And the reason that it reminded me of that story is because you're relating that to people that you know, you and your friends growing up. And when we interact with stories, when we listen to and watch and consume stories, what we're actually doing is we are saying, um, we are looking at like, do I want to behave like this or not? Like, how is it that I should interact with other people? We start seeing things through the, through the protagonist's eyes. Sometimes on really good stories, we will be a little scared by seeing things through the villain's eyes and, and being scared of that part of ourselves. And so with escapist fiction, you are learning how to and how not to be a good human being. You know, what What do you do in society? What What would happen? Like what you're talking about is, you guys were talking about as kids, like what you would do if the apocalypse, the zombie, zombie apocalypse came or whatever. And you look at like Joseph Conrad, who writes stories about like, you know, being shipwrecked, you know, and, and all this type of stuff. And what he does oftentimes, he's one of my favorite authors, so he's the first one I come to, is he, he, he puts people that you relate to in these horrifying, terrible situations. And oftentimes they, the most pious of them lose their moral center and, and go wild and go crazy, like in heart of darkness, you know, and whatever, and become horrible human beings. And so you hold up this dark mirror where you look at it and you go, Oh, I don't want to do that. You know, I could see how I could now and I, and I don't want to. And so it's interesting to, it's interesting to hear that you're injecting, you know, parts of or completely real people into that because i think that's one of the main things about storytelling is that we relate to and com- compare and contrast the characters in in a way that helps us navigate this world where there's no instruction manual and we don't know what to do so so here's one of the things that i, I would say just tying back into like the stan lee thing because since he was like being besmirched by a shock jock um but, uh, you know, we, we had our little Stan Lee tribute and I, I talked about my split feelings of Stan Lee and stuff. But, but one thing I'll say is like, you know, if you were to go to me in like fifth grade when I was dealing with like bullies and nonsense at school, and then I was able to like pick up this comic where there's this nerdy guy who's got superpowers, yeah, who's a smart ass and like fights guys <laughs> like 10 times his size and, you know has girl problems and, and, you know, is trying to figure life out and stuff. Um, that's Spider-Man, you know, like that's, yeah. um, as escapist as you can kind of get. And yet at the same time, like it, it had so much value. And I would say that that comic got me through some of the roughest times I ever had in elementary school. Yeah. Um, superman you know like the the movies like the christopher reeves movies those were like great escapist movies for a little kid who's kind of confused about things and you're figuring life out but here's a hero saving the day and like facing his fears and stuff like that and i think like i don't think i'm unique in that kind of connection with comics where it's like i think um a lot of us learned heroism through through comics yeah. Um, I, I remember multiple times throughout my childhood, like facing something I was scared of and thinking of superheroes that I was reading about, Yeah, you know, absolutely. so it's like the, the, um, you know, the value of like escapist fiction is, is, um, 
not just the fact that it, it allows you to escape, but it gives you something to kind of empathize with. And it also gives you like a map on how to defeat a bad guy, <laughs> you know? And, um, and honestly, I think like, I think it's, it's weird to me that like, um, socially it's so acceptable to kind of downplay the, the power and the importance of like escape is, escape is fiction and yet like it's completely acceptable to fan out and geek out about a bunch of people throwing a ball right um, <laughs> around and with some really weird arbitrary rules and a referee reinforcing those rules <laughs> and like it's it doesn't even change it's literally the same game every time and you can obsess about that and learn statistics and do mathematics about it but if you're you know, the nerd talking about like um, the trench run in Star Wars, you know, yeah. like, like suddenly, oh my goodness. And and it used to be worse. Luckily, yeah, I think much more society is getting now. better with the acceptance of it. So like to me, um, you know, it's like, don't downplay the trench run in Star Wars. Like yeah. the whole point of the trench run in Star Wars is like you're facing impossible odds and you're overcoming them. And yeah. it's like, um that to me like that's kind of the story of like so much of the fiction i loved i loved indiana jones as a kid i, I talk about it in my comic too but it's like um that's really escapist and fun and um but it's also brave and teaches a lot of valuable things and it also like the humor of it it lightens the world a little bit and i think that's like to me that's one of the things I, I one of my big tests for somebody I know I can get along with is if they can take a joke. <laughs> if someone, yeah. if I if I meet someone with no sense of humor, it's like I, I pretty quickly am like I don't think we're gonna I don't think I'm gonna get along with this person. Yeah. And it's interesting because like I said, my comics are really heavy, but I think a really telling fact of like how I think people are making like serious makers don't tend to draw a distinction. And I think a perfect example of that is like my biggest advocates that are cartoonists are usually single panel cartoonists. Yeah. <laughs> like who are doing gag strips and they love what I'm doing. Yeah. And what I'm doing is like, this is what depression looks like, you know, like, right. <laughs> and it's super heavy stuff, but there's these guys doing these bits that think it's amazing. And yet, at the same time, I'm looking at stuff like Calvin and Hobbes and going, geez, like, I wish I could make that kind of like beautiful thing that just kind of captures childhood. And um, and yet, by all means, like Calvin and Hobbes is escapist. I mean, look at the Spaceman Spiff stuff, some of the best stuff. Yeah. And yet it's super escapist. But it's also important because it documents a different side, you know, so <clears throat> like. I know I've said this before on here, but I, I, I do feel like comics could do itself a service by like, by kind of doing what books have done and realizing there's different sections in the bookstore. Yeah. Um, it's different genres. Like, yeah. But I mean, the, you know, there's important books in each genre. Like there's not, yeah. it's not like, um, you know, because it's a kid's book, it's just stupid. I mean, like to me, I see how my son interacts like reading Harold and the Purple Crayon, and it like ignites this thing in his imagination about what you can create and make and draw, and on this like simple level, that's like profound, you know. And and so I look at that book and I'm like, that's 
like I can't look at that book and then look at like Catcher in the Rye and be like Catcher in the Rye is important and that book's foolish you know right <laughs> because like hey I read Harold in the Purple Crayon as a kid and that got me into drawing so it's like yeah. I like who can say like what the thing is that's going to impact and get people through like whatever the hardships are that they'll inevitably experience in life I think escapist fiction can do an equally if not more important job with that so like to me you know like um i don't know you know i I feel like um i feel like people need to take themselves less seriously with that kind of thing and i think on the whole escapist side i think some some people who are really into escapist like all they read is like capes and tights kind of stuff um should take a break and kind of look at some serious stuff too like and by serious i just mean serious subject matter um because i think they'd be surprised at how there's commonalities like a good story is a good story you know um yeah Yeah. and james james in the chats uh right now he said uh spider-man and conan got me through childhood so i and i think that like you said i think that is a common i think that is a common thing um that you're going to find with most people is that they're their moral core, what they what they view as heroic, what they view as wrong, what they view as good, is going to be based on stuff that they experienced as they were growing up, and stuff that they're experiencing now. And that and that can be sports heroes, you know. You can you yeah. can have you can have those uh, you know somebody that like Michael Jordan that's worked super hard, you know, after he got cut from the team, and, and you know, there's some heroic nature with that. I have a th- I have a theory. I want you guys to tr- to poke holes in it. Cause I, okay. cause I, I've never had a serious discussion about this theory, but it's a theory that I hold that I think works. So my theory is this, and, and this, this relates somehow, but I, I think it does relate. So my theory is this, I believe that opposites are the same thing. I believe that, um, for example, I believe that suffering and, and joy are the same thing. They're two sides of the same coin. I believe that 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 love and sorrow are two sides of the same thing and the, and the reason i say that is because your ability to experience happiness is equal and directly proportional to your um willingness to experience pain and the more that you shut yourself off to hurting the more you lose the ability to experience the opposite of that hurt and so like in a relationship the more I shut myself off to, um, you know, being being hurt, the more closed off I am and protective I am of myself, the less intimate and invested I am in that relationship because I believe that they're the same thing. And this came up in my mind as you were talking, Josh, that oftentimes those funny movies, those comedies, those toy stories, those other things where you're you're laughing one minute and then all of a sudden you're all of a sudden crying, I think that happens because... As soon as you choose to be willing to enjoy yourself, you open yourself up to a level of vulnerability because you're admitting that, you know, that this is touching you, whether that is touching you for a positive or a negative emotion. And you can kind of see um, that happen. So I'm just curious, what do you guys think about this, uh, about this theory that, that, that opposites are the same and your willingness to accept one increases your ability to experience the other? No, it's it's interesting. It make, it it kind of makes sense. I've never really thought about that. I don't know if I could poke holes in it, but I mean, 
yeah, I have to I have to think a little more on it because it, yeah, that it is interesting. Josh, I um, <clears throat> I mean, I think I think they're similar, and I think they're on the same. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call them the same, but I definitely would say I think they're on the same kind of wavelength. Yeah. Um, and I do think that. Uh, I like, like, I think a good example kind of tying it to what we were talking about too, is like, um, like I constantly meet adults who tell me I don't watch cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they'll kind of act like, Hmm, I don't watch cartoons. I'm a man. I'm you so know? much better that than kind you. of thing. Yeah. Like that's for kids, you know? <laughs> and, um, to me, I always find that really sad. Yeah. Because These people are boring. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like I feel like have you ever really like I feel like telling that person they're missing out on like the joy of watching like a black and white Mickey Mouse cartoon. Like have you ever sat through one of those cartoons? It's one of the most funny um like plane crazy, really good example. I like absolutely love that cartoon and I get joy out of it every time I see it and I laugh harder than I laugh at like raunchy, you know, crazy dark humor and i love dark humor but it's like it gets me in this area that like you you just can't get with like dark humor and and so i think i i think to me i think um i think this ties into what you're saying in the sense that i think a lot of people who like all they do for humor is dark humor have kind of used like sarcasm and insincerity as like a way to callous themselves so like feeling real just pure humor yeah um it's like the person who refuses to laugh at a bad dad joke and to me it's like it, there's this whole spectrum to humor where it's like you have your dad joke that's just awful but it's really funny <laughs> and then you have like your clever wordplay joke or your joke that's like naughty you know or whatever right. but the point being they're on this whole variety of spectrums for for humor and and like the weird thing is if you get to know comedians they don't tend to distinguish like that like there is heady comedy yeah and there's and there's low comedy but but most comedians like you know tend to acknowledge like if it's funny it's funny and like almost every comedian on the whole spectrum will think a fart joke's funny right (laughs) so it's like it's like you don't I don't know like to me i think this distinguishing of like this is art this is not it, it belongs to like a different culture i think um than the one we're we're entering into which which i think is like a curated um gatekeeping culture and i think like the gates are starting to get blown open and it's freaking out you know people who really find their identity and being like well comics are for kids you know and it's like like once again i just i can't i've mentioned this a bunch but it's like gene yang just won the genius grant so is that for kids like because what i understand that's a pretty giant thing to get but you know maybe that's just a kid thing you know because like the other people who get that tend to like be like curing aids or like (laughs) you know like doing like these massive humanitarian things and then you have a guy writing comics getting it so you know are comics for kids or are you basically like closing yourself off to something and just blanket judging it? And like, I I'd say that for people who are stuck in a comics bubble of like only escapist stuff, I'd say the same thing. Like, like, have you checked out 
um, like Fun Home. Because I feel like you're really missing out if you haven't read Fun Home and all you do is escapist fiction. Because Fun Home by, by no means is escapist, but it's brilliant and it'll move you and it'll really blow your mind on like what can be done in the comics medium just from a writing standpoint. Because like there's, you know, to me, I read that book, there's nothing about the art that's like blowing my mind, but there are some things that are done in that comic that only comics can do. Um, and I feel like you'd be missing out if you missed that book. But equally, like, you know, if somebody was like, all I read are like Fun Home and Blankets and Serious Comics, and then I, I would be like, well, what about Bone? Right. <laughs> you know, like, there's this bit in Bone where it's talking about how winter falls fast, and it's a two-panel bit. <laughs> where, like, where, like, the next, the next shot is just this giant lump of winter hitting. Um, but there's also points in Bone, which is the story with like these weird kind of pogo looking figures going through a fantasy adventure. But there are points in that that'll move you to like getting choked up because they're so profound. And yet it's in like a book that's for kids that doesn't have a lot of inappropriate stuff in it. Yeah. And yet, you know, it, it, it reaches these levels of of beauty. Like, I don't know. I guess my point is. Um, I think you're right in the sense of I think they're on the same plane and I think if you cut one off I think you risk cutting the other um, see and I would I would argue if you cut one off uh, the other is cut off with it maybe no, they're not the same uh, a, a quick a quick thing I, I think in life we have containers and we have the choice to um, choose how big that container is and whether it's open but we don't necessarily get to choose what goes into that container. And sometimes life gives us sorrow and sometimes life gives us joy. And the more that I am willing to accept the sorrow, the more I'm able to accept the joy. And so if I'm worried about protecting myself from, you know, my if I if I love my daughter and then my my concern is, oh, I can't love her too much because if I if she gets hurt, then if I love her too much, then I will be hurt as well. I'm protecting myself and in causing myself to try to avoid that pain, I'm cutting off my ability to avoid that joy. And, and so, and, and, I, and, I, and I say this from personal experience and I, I don't know if it's universal. I don't know if it's universal, but like when I was, um, when I was seven years old, um, my family got in a car accident and two of my brothers were killed. And my, my reaction to that was uh, it just hurt too much. It was, I just couldn't process it. I blamed myself because that's kind of like a normal thing that kids do. But there's like a series of events that happened that had they happened differently, I traced it back to how it was my fault. Uh, it wasn't and it was just an accident, right? But um, I remember a year after that, I decided I'm done hurting. I don't want to feel this anymore. And I shut off. But what I shut off was I shut off my ability to feel all emotion. And it was like that for a while. Um, I remember in high school, um, I decided, you know, when I graduate high school, I'd like to start feeling things again. And yeah. for the next while, I remember every time somebody broke up with me, or every time I got my heart broken, or every time I was in some situation where I was experiencing suffering, I remember thinking, this is good that I'm feeling this because it means that I've been able to turn my emotions back on, that I'm a human being yeah. again. And, and I noticed in at least my life and my experience, and I don't want to project and say that this is everybody's experience, 
that at those points and times where I've chosen to numb myself to avoid the pain, whatever that be, some people use addiction to numb themselves. Some people use whatever. I gained as a child the ability or the curse, I don't know what you call it, to just decide I'm going to be a robot right now. I'm not going to feel anything. Um, but I don't get to pick and choose. I don't get to be like, I'm not going to feel pain, but I'm still going to be happy and excited about stuff. Like if when I disengage with emotion, I disengage with all emotion. And and so yeah. I, I think that's like the, the genesis of this. But, in, but when it comes to like stories, um, I, I just read this great book. It was a phenomenal book. It's called uh, Beneath a Scarlet Sky. And it's about this kid who is smuggling Jews across the Alps into Switzerland from uh, during World War II. And there are some really great moments in that book, some super high highs. And there are some gut-wrenching, horrible lows, almost to the point where I'm like, I'd like to recommend this book, but it is, it is hard in parts. But then I'm like, why yeah. is it hard? And it's because it was so high at points that when it goes low, you really feel it. And when it goes high, you really feel it because it was so low. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know whether whether those whether they're the same or not. I don't know, but I definitely def I definitely agree that you can't have one without the other. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah. I I think I'm more on like I, I think I'm inclined to kind of agree with Scott James in the chat was saying people love contrast and the the way opposites need each other to stand out, but I don't see how they're the same. And I kind of agree. Like I don't think. I think the same might be the only word that's kind of throwing me off because right. I think that I think they're emotions. And I think if you close yourself off to emotion, you do kind of become numb. And like, oddly enough, that's why I made a comic called numb a long time ago. Yeah. So I went through like a really bad breakup and then um, just kind of felt numb for a couple of years after it yeah. and was kind of numb to things and like sort of seeking escape and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and and I did catch that like about myself as well, where I, I found that I was unable to kind of experience joy or, or sorrow. I just was kind of floating through things, which is a terrible way to be. Um, and I've had multiple experiences like that in my life, you know, where, where you have that. But so I think grouped, James just said that in the chats, but I think that's right. Like where it's like, they're definitely grouped. They're definitely inter interwoven. Um, and and so it, I, th I feel like they, they just have a really strong relational pull to each other. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's like a yin-yang kind of thing. So maybe um, maybe they're not the same, but I don't yeah. think that they would exist without the other. Because, yeah. because I believe it's in the contrast of, of it, right? I mean, the reason that dark is dark is because light is light, because there's something to contrast against it. And I think taking this back to escapist fiction, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about escapist fiction is that it allows you to accept the story on a level um, that isn't available in a lot of cases on nonfiction. Because if it's happening to some guy who is able to somehow magically teleport to Mars and he learns about the people of Barsoom and all this stuff... Uh, you're, you're like, oh, cool, this is fun, and I'm along for the ride. And a lot of your defenses go down. Um, and then the whole thing about um, John Carter and the whole Mars series is this guy's treatise on like race relations and how 
Um, you know, white people are kind of problematic in the South uh, at the time of the period, at the time that Edgar Rice Burroughs was writing this. And you have uh, everything is kind of flipped and you see like different tribes of people behaving differently. And he's able to do all this stuff because they're aliens and I'll like, I'll listen to this story where, and it was, it was widely read and accepted um, because it wasn't some guy just coming out and saying, Hey, you're racist. And it's like, well, yeah. immediately my defenses are up and I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to that because, you know, because you're, you're just calling me names, you know, and that's too real for me. But on a, on a, on a deeper level, I think um, we can become more vulnerable to, and more susceptible to, um, the, the highs and the lows and the good and the bad and the, and the emotional swings and the, and the, and the, and the lessons learned and the, and the, and the humanity taught in these, in these pieces of fiction because they're fiction. Um, cause yeah, at, no, I, at, at no point in time are you like, I wonder if this is real, if this really happened. It's like, no, it didn't. It obviously didn't happen. So I want to touch on like one other thing that we haven't really hit about like the importance of escapist fiction. Um, cause I think we've touched on just the sheer entertainment value the fact that it's you know i i would say equal in value to any genre of of art or writing um and then this interesting thing about the polls where it's like it, i think escapist fiction kind of allows for there to be really heavy stuff like it it kind of balances it out um and kind of like the, it's like the two kind of make this really great reading experience um, I think there's also this really cool thing that's very unique to fiction in itself that um, that like nonfiction just kind of can't do, and that's um, fiction and especially escapist fiction allows dreaming of things that don't exist yet. And so, yeah. um, I, like, I, I don't know. Have I told the whole uh, Bradbury story that he told when I saw him talk? on here yet not that i've heard okay well, let me let me go through it <laughs> i love going through it so um so bradbury had this story about when he wrote the uh the martian chronicles um a bunch of friends of his were were making fun of him who were writers who were like why do you write this nonsense like because they're like writing you know like at the time it's like everybody's writing on the road you know <laughs> and um and so they're like, why are you writing this like path, like this nonsense? And he's like, it's not nonsense. And I'll tell you what, um, when we get a ship to the moon, I'm going to call you on the phone and I'm going to call you a goddamn idiot. <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting him. Sorry for the language. Um, and so he kept a black book and he filled it with names and numbers and when the when the first uh the first shuttle landed on the moon he uh he called he picked up his phone and he called <laughs> each number and he said you're a goddamn idiot click you're a goddamn idiot click <laughs> over and over and over again um and part of why i want to just be true to what he said is like that was bradbury but um and he was just full of just sheer joy telling this story yeah um and to me i think that shows that like he was a person who had no doubt that at some point we would be on the moon yeah and if you look in like you read up on like hg wells and the influence he had on like the creation of the submarine um the influence that science fiction in general has had on like like the, the area i live in has a lot of like northrop and 
you know, Lockheed Martin and Edwards Air Force Base and stuff. And like most of the guys I've met who are engineers are sci-fi geeks. Oh yeah. And so it's like, you know, a lot of the guys developing the SR-71 Blackbird, like these stealth fighters, like creating technology that just doesn't exist, started dreaming that because of fiction. And so to me, it's like, that's a really powerful thing about fiction too, because it allows you to kind of think about things that don't exist and you can envision them and you can paint like a dystopia or a utopia and you can create this whole thing and that can actually move society to make those things real. And it's like, to me, that's, you know, if you're going to like trash fiction and escapist fiction, then you got to start thinking you know, do you like a world where like we can go in submarines and we can go on airplanes and we can go into outer space? Because that's fiction. <laughs> yeah, um, that's the or, power of that stuff. Or even so. look at even look at uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, and James Bond, and you've got almost every piece of technology that exists. You've got cell phones and iPads and tricorders and communicators and. Uh, I mean, I, the next generation, they're like walking around with little iPad minis, you know, like what, 20 years before those existed, you know, and you've got James Bond, like driving his Aston Martin and then picking up a phone, like in the sixties, he had a, he had a car phone, you know, and, and there's all this stuff that like that, that type of kind of future forward, forward thinking. Yeah. I think it's awesome. So, yeah. uh, any, any, any final thoughts before we, uh, before we wrap this up? Yeah, All right. I think we've uh, I think we've covered it pretty well. I'm super curious. Those of you in the chat and those of you listening uh, listening later, um, what is it? What is a major piece of fiction that has kind of impacted your life? Um, we've had some people in the chat mention mention some things, but I want to know. I want to know the stories. I want to know the characters. Um, leave us a comment um, on this video and let us know like. What are some of the stories that have impacted your life and why? Like, why, why were they important to you? And, and especially uh, if it's deemed silly or childish or whatever. I, I, like, I like those examples. Um, if you want to check out what Scott is working on, um, you can go to circworks.com. You can check out. Um, he's got a brand new website up there. He's got a lot of new products going up and, and different things that you can get. Digital downloads right now that are phenomenal. So if you want to... Uh, just for the price of your email address, uh, signing up to get his newsletter, which is awesome, you can get a comic starter pack, which is phenomenal. It comes with all kinds of different uh, fonts and, and speech bubbles and all kinds of things. Uh, if you want to check out my work, you can go to coreykerr.com. And uh, I've got a couple videos up right now that are kind of interesting. I just did another video on my AI to AE playlist, which is um, teaching you if you already know Adobe Illustrator how to make things move in Adobe After Effects, and so I just did a, a cool butterfly thing on that. You can see that at CoreyKerr.com or follow me on YouTube. And as always, you can check out Josh, and you're on his channel right now. You can check out Josh at QuarterlyStories.com. You can see the uh, non-escapist fiction that he's telling, uh, which is not a bias story about faith and mental illness, and it's 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 gritty and it's deep and it's awesome, but it also has some cool throwbacks to some nostalgia and, and, and the character that I call little Josh, which is one of my favorite characters. <laughs> and so go, go check that stuff out. Thanks everybody who's in the chat. You guys are awesome. And if you are listening to this podcast after the fact, and you'd like to join us in the chat, we go live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 PM California time on YouTube. And you can check that out at CoreyKerr.com slash 48 HR. And we will see you guys in a couple days. Bye.
Later.